Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of What About Grief? I'm Larry Holm. Well, here we are at the beginning of November. And what does that mean? It's the dawn of two months of holiday celebrations. And I mean the big ones. No disrespect to President's Day, but we're talking Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day. One after another. Ugh. So I thought I would do something a little different for this month's episode by sharing the holiday ups and downs of these last two plus years since I've become a widower. After that, I'm looking forward to interviewing this month's guest, Suzanne Deggs-White, who is a professor and chair in the Department of Counseling and Higher Education at Northern Illinois University. She wrote an article in the November 2022 issue of Psychology Today magazine titled, Working Through Grief During the Holidays. After I read the article, I realized I could very much relate to what she expressed and thought she could help by sharing some insights on how to get through the holiday months when one is grieving. Okay, like I mentioned, to start off, I have decided to open up and be vulnerable here. Not something I have done much of since Sarah's passing, especially in public or on a podcast. Am I crazy letting go of this silence that I'm capturing inside of me? I did describe my emotions and thoughts pretty freely when I was part of a small group that focused on grief. Why? Because everyone in the class was experiencing grief and understood what I was going through since they were as well. We were each other's safety net. But to share my feelings now on a podcast? Yikes. Bear with me here. The holidays. For so many people, it's a time to look forward to. The rituals, the traditions, the smells of the season, the gatherings, and creating good memories. But the holidays and grief, it's really hard after you've lost a loved one. Combine feelings of loneliness and sadness, add a dash of overall grief, and you've got a recipe for the worst kind of a holiday cocktail. Believe me, I've had a few, and they don't taste good. For some of us, the holidays are something we've just got to get through. So as the holidays approach these last two months of the year, how do we do that? How can we find, like the song says, comfort and joy without a beloved spouse, child, parent, friend, or relative at our side? Preparing a feast, gathering with friends or family and giving thanks, putting up decorations and shopping for gifts. Instead of joy, these things now carry deep sadness. The one gift you can actually hope for is that as time passes, these will become cherished memories that might bring comfort. For me, the holidays held a special place in my heart. I proposed to Sarah on Christmas morning, and it was her idea to host an annual company holiday party at our home where she would do all of the cooking and I would do all of the cleanup. In the two-plus years since she passed away, the holidays have been a struggle for me. How do I adjust and participate in them without Sarah? I've wrestled with so many questions. Early on, I thought, do I even want to participate in holiday traditions when I'd rather just go and hide? Is there a way to skip ahead on the calendar to January so I can avoid all of this? Or how do I begin to turn the page and start up new traditions while remembering that Sarah isn't with me anymore? Why do I have to create new traditions with new people in my life when I was comfortable with the old ones? Should I be taking some risks and still participating in the festivities? Or is there a balance to being present 
while also honoring the past. It can be so confusing. And to be really honest, there were moments when I just wish I could just turn back the clock to Sarah's pre-cancer days and just stop time to when holidays did bring me comfort and joy and so many other enjoyable feelings. The sad and really difficult reality is that the person I am now has to face the holidays solo without my partner by my side. I remember my first Christmas without Sarah in 2021, just five months after she passed away. It was like an out-of-body experience being there with my family and relatives. I felt like I was standing in the corner watching the family open gifts, talking, laughing, and eating, and I was invisible and waiting for Sarah to walk in the door so we could jump in together on the fun. I don't blame my family at all. They couldn't tell anything was wrong with me. I put on what I call my grief mask. That is the face I put on before leaving my home that lets people see that all is fine because I'm smiling on the outside, but really on the inside, I'm gutted. I couldn't wait to get home and be alone. I needed space. Remember, all of these feelings were new to me as well. I'm not asking for sympathy. Honestly, I'm not. I'm giving you my honest thoughts on how I have dealt with November and December since July of 2021. It's just my reality. What I've learned so far is I have to travel through the tough and hard times to get through to the other side, to the side where I can look forward to these two months. And I'm beginning to enjoy the holidays. Healing within is taking place. Sadness and dread is slowly being replaced by comfort, laughter, and a sense of adjustment. I'm actually enjoying the initial sips of this new holiday cocktail. Let me welcome in my guest, Professor Suzanne Deggs-White. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Uh, after hearing that little spiel, uh, how much therapy do I need? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a wonderful job, Larry, of taking care of yourself, engaging in behaviors that are going to help you move forward. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I read your uh, article in Psychology Today magazine that focused on working through our grief during the holidays. And just a reminder, you're a professor and chair of the Department of Counseling and Higher Education at Northern Illinois University. So I do look forward to hearing what your thoughts are when holidays and grief intersect one another. Absolutely. It's an important topic and one that I think that people sometimes aren't prepared to handle when going through grieving because the holidays just suddenly hit you and you look at the calendar and you see what's happening around you and it can be a shock to your system. It is. It is. And it just ambushes you throughout different times of the day and the months and you're not prepared for it. Um, let me, before we hop into the holidays questions, I, I just kind of want to get from you what is your kind of definition of grief? How would you describe grief to, to someone who asked you? Yeah, you know, grief is a process that involves the whole person. And I think sometimes folks don't realize that. Grief involves emotions, thoughts, behaviors, and relationships. And it's the overall processing of a loss and moving into that acceptance and adjustment that you talked about. So grief is not a finite thing. It, it is a process that takes over your whole person. And that's, I think, what's hard about it. The fact it's hard to write yourself because your thoughts are going in different directions, your emotions, your relationships are shifting too. So it's kind of a, a whole person experience. Mm, 
Yeah. And it, it, it really, there's never an ending point to it, really. I, at least I don't think there is. Am I wrong? No, grief is not a destination. Grief doesn't have, grief is not a finite, finite process. Grief, we, we hold on to grief throughout our lives. It's a part of the way we keep people's memories alive. But the important thing is, as you mentioned when you opened um, our episode, was talking about moving into that place of adjustment and acceptance, hmm. where we acknowledge the loss, but we're able to move forward in life. Yeah. And just why do you think, grief isn't spoken about so much in everyday life like other emotions. I feel like society assumes that our grief should be over once the funeral is over. But for me, you know, after Sarah passed away and leading up to the funeral, I was dealing with the business of death, you know, dealing with the coroner, picking out a casket or deciding on cremation, buying a plot at the cemetery, organizing the memorial service, picking out a place for the reception and on and on and on. And you're dealing with your checkbook more than you are with your emotions. And really, the first time I started to grieve was post-funeral when maybe society thought I should be moving on. And, and that is super common because the business of dying in America, it is a business. It takes so much energy to make decisions that you don't think about having to make until you're there in that moment. You're overwhelmed with the business, and that allows you to kind of stuff your feelings. And so it's really normal that you don't feel the loss until a few days after their passing, after a funeral service, when you're sitting at the table and you look across and realize that person won't be there ever again. Yeah. Part of the reason that we're hesitant to talk about death or, or to even comfort people, one, we're afraid of saying the wrong thing, but mm. also as a society, we're very much afraid of death. That death anxiety keeps us from preparing people for it or helping other people get through it because of our own fears associated with death. Yeah. I remember after the burial, I wanted just to be on my own and everybody went their own ways. And <laughs> I went down into the city of Chicago and went to lunch and sat outside and the hostess said, how many? And oh. it was the first time I, I just said, you know, one. And, mm -hmm. and that's like when it hit me. And I just sat there, you know, by myself after the burial. And I was like, this is, this is my life now. Yeah, just um, feeling it. It was a hard thing to understand and grasp. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that because that, that, that is, that, that's such a, like I said, you're sitting across the table and you realize that place is empty and it hurts and it hits you so hard and it can hit you hard day after day, month after month. It can be that kind of feeling. And it's important when we do feel stuck in that place that we do reach out for support yeah. because grief is, is so much easier when you have supportive people, whether it's friends, family, or professional counselor, therapist, helping you work through it because it is a life-changing, life-altering experience. Yeah. You mentioned hard a few times in, in, in your answer. So let's, let's advance it now to the holidays. Why are they so hard for people who have lost someone? Yeah, the holidays are so hard for people who have lost someone for the same reasons they're so amazing for people who are surrounded by family. It's because of the, the import and the emphasis we place on holidays. It's because of the specialness we imbue the holidays with and because of all those traditions 
that your family associates with the holidays, whatever they are, the idea of the holidays conjures up so many images, so many feelings that when we take away that most important person, it's like the holidays don't just seem empty. They seem almost like a cruel trick. Yeah. You wrote, you wrote in your article, we may not realize how much we enjoy the rituals in our lives until something happens to disrupt their occurrence or shift the composition of the group with who we celebrate or mark them. And yeah, r- rituals provide you know, joy and safety, but a, a mix of various emotions and anxiety, don't they? They do, yeah. R- rituals, rituals are those things that kind of give our life shape and things we hold on to. And when one of those mainstays is gone, we they become painful because mm. they aren't what they were before. And we have to recreate what a ritual may look like. And we and that goes against the years we spent with someone building up that ritual to be this thing. So we're having to kind of refocus and reshape how we experience major important landmark moments in life. Yeah. What are some of the common mistakes that grievers make during the holidays? Wow. Well, I think about mistakes. I think the most important mistake to avoid is not acknowledging your feelings. Mm. I think a lot of times we try to put on, and, and again, it's part of it is cultural, that we're expected to show up, get over your grief, move forward, get back out into the world. And when we don't say, this hurts, this is painful, this is hard for me, we're again stuffing those feelings down. And those feelings that we stuff are going to come out in unexpected and unwanted places. So one thing, one mistake we make is trying to feel something we're not feeling when we're not acknowledging the the sorrow we feel. Other mistakes, you know, spending too much time on your own. Oftentimes, you know, it's like many of us seek comfort. We want to be alone. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to be a burden. So I'm just going to stay here and isolate myself and let other people go have fun. And when we do that, we're denying ourselves the opportunity to share and get back into a sense of normal life, the new life we're experiencing. And we don't allow ourselves to heal when we stay back, isolate ourselves and spend too much time ruminating on the past or ruminating on how things would be different if that person were still here. Yeah. So that dwelling on the past is different from recalling fond memories. And that's something we need to bear in mind. Yeah. Staying silent can be so hurtful to you moving forward. Yeah. And some people don't realize yet yeah, that, that that talking about what's going on, you know, talk therapy is healing in itself. When we share our story, when we let people in, we're allowing them to feel that they matter to us. And we're also unburdening ourselves. Mm. So it's super important. It does it when we, when we share our stories, we're doing a service to ourselves and then to the listener. Yeah. So how bold or vulnerable should we be in participating in the parties and the get-togethers? You know, for me, they all seem like triggers to bring back grief to the forefront because I used to do them with Sarah, and now I'm going in alone. How do we take that bold next step? Yeah, well, you 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 weigh the advantages of getting out and and living a life that Sarah would feel good about you living. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we forget that 
when our partner dies, it doesn't, they wouldn't want us to, to our social life, our engagement in the world to die as well. That people who truly love us want us to be engaged and involved. They want to see us have healthy relationships with other people, stay involved with family and friends, and to recognize that when we isolate ourselves, when we stay behind, when we don't make that bold move, really we're letting down ourselves and we're not we're not living up to the potential that our partner, our loved one saw in us. So kind of are we being are we being selfish? in, you know, keeping ourselves back. and But there's a time and a place for everything. And no one should jump back in if they truly don't feel ready. But when you start to feel that bit of loneliness or you feel like you've been isolating too long, being bold and just even if it's just, I, just, I think I mentioned in the article, just going to the grocery store and striking up a conversation with the cashier, we really need to stay engaged because social relationships are the most valuable resource that we have as human beings. Yeah. You know, research shows time and again, those who live the longest and stay the healthiest are those who maintain healthy social relationships. And so recognizing that we owe it to the memory of the person we lost and to ourselves to stay engaged can be important. Yeah, I, I often thought about what would Sarah want me to do? And she was very outgoing, like to have fun. And I think she, to your point, would want me to be out there and not just sitting at home or declining um, an invitation to dinner or a party or, or something like that. And that that kind of kicks me in the butt to say yes uh, and get out there. That's lovely. That is lovely because that's honoring the relationship and, and the love that Sarah had for you as well as the love you had for her. And, you know, we have to remember that just because we've lost a partner to death doesn't mean our relationship ends. It doesn't. Your relationship to Sarah will continue on and recognizing that and being faithful to her expectations and to what she would want for you is important as well yeah. to help you, to make you feel that, you know, like I said, relationships don't die just because a person dies. Yeah. I think she would hate that grief mask that's at the front door, you know, when I'm grabbing my wallet and keys and heading out she would be like, leave that at home. <laughs> yeah, 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 leave it at home. Don't need that. It's not going to help you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what can we do to move forward with the guilt and regret and shame and some of those other emotions that surround us, you know, during the holidays? You know, it's, it's, it's hard. And again, this is called, death is different in every culture. Mm -hmm. And we have to realize that death is a part of life that it's it's okay to hurt, it's okay to grieve, but it's also okay to show up and to share your feelings. I think when we try to pretend that everything's all right, that's when things are really wrong because we're not we're not giving other people a chance to see us authentically either. When we when we bring our shame or our guilt about loss about feeling down, if we don't share how we're feeling with others, it doesn't give them a chance to really connect with us and be there for us in ways they want to be. Think about how you want to be there for friends who have lost someone. And if they're always saying, I'm okay, I don't need to talk about it, but you know in your heart they do, you're unable to be the kind of person they need in their lives right now. And so recognizing that bringing your full self and all your emotions too close relationships and not pretending like you don't feel the feelings you feel is the best thing to do. 
You wrote in your article, and I, I, I really liked it. I said, you, you said, there can be a sweet pleasure in the pain we feel when priming our memories of shared experiences that we can never have again. There's a pleasure in pain, and it's cathartic to experience the strong emotions that we are stirring up. Can you explain yeah. a little bit more on that? Yeah, it's almost like when you listen to a like you listen to a love song about a when you listen to a song about a breakup and you feel that pain and it just feels good to have that pain to experience it to know that I'm here I'm alive I'm feeling this pain there's a joy because you're recognizing I you recognize the finiteness of the moment and when we're able to recognize the finiteness of something of a moment with a partner who's no longer here you really are living authentically. You're experiencing that moment and you're appreciating it for the treasure that it was. Mm. And we can take pleasure in these things. There's something that we enjoy, that the humans enjoy about kind of that sense of bittersweet taste. We like it. It's And it's just, it's just an, it's why we enjoy listening to sad songs, why mm. we love to cry at movies, that humans need to experience all these emotions and relationships are so vital to our happiness that if we can recognize this was a wonderful moment, this was, whether it's a partner, if it was a parent, whether it was a friend, it feels good to remember that moment. It was only that moment in time, but I have that memory. Yeah. It's almost like a talisman you can carry. You know, grief can be a talisman you carry in your heart, or it can be a weight on your heart forever. And allowing those moments to be kind of like those magic little jewels or charms, mm. they're still there. You feel them, you carry them with you, but 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 they're positive and they really they they fulfill you and and bring that sensory connection to someone. And also that finiteness of time that makes us really appreciate something for what it was. Mm, yeah. And is time really only the true healer in all of this? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't think, you know, time does heal all wounds in some ways. Does time heal? Grief, grief is a part of us. We experience a loss. A loss is not something you can really get over or let go of. I mean, it, it's a permanent part of the fabric of who you are and who you're becoming. But over time, we're able to accept things more easily. We're able to, and I guess those moments when you think about that and, you know, it can be five years from now and a memory from 10 years ago will hit you as hard as it did two weeks after you lost someone. Mm. I mean, those, and that's those moments that are so sweet, they're bittersweet. And it gets easier to accept the loss and it may be, t you know, time... Time, yes. Time, time is time is one of the greatest healers of emotional issues. Yeah, you know, I think I think about that. That we wake up. You know, I know that when I would have a bad day, my mother would say, "Well, don't worry, Susie. Things look better in the light." And it was like, "Wow, I'd wake up the next day and things do look better right now." But that doesn't mean that dusk is not going to fall, and the the fears and the worries and the the longings for a person won't return at some point. But you know, experience teaches you that the next day you'll get up and you're going to be able to put it into perspective. But there's no, but grief, grief, grief isn't something you get through. It's it's a roadmap you'll follow now throughout your life with yep. no real particular destination. Yeah, yeah. It 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 not only changes uh, when you wake up in the morning, but 
mid-morning, lunch, afternoon, evening, yeah. <laughs> at least for me, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does and it can. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a part of you. It's a part of you. And to, that's why it's important to recognize those tender moments and, and focus on the things that are kind of, there's restoration activities where you begin to appreciate and, and look for the positive things, finding ways to honor the person that's lost. And then there's loss-oriented events where you really focus on the loss and, and the nostalgia in the morning. And so grief is kind of a push-pull between those restoration-focused, future, future-focused activities and those loss-oriented um, kind of nostalgia memory activities. And, and that's just part of the process. So then what are some of the healthy ways to honor our loved ones during the holidays? What can we do? One thing you can do is, you know, carry on a ritual that you and Sarah enjoy doing. You know, when you lose a partner, you don't want to erase them from your lives. You want to find a way to carry their memory forward. And so what are things you enjoy doing with your partner? Continue to do those things. If it's, you know, if you've lost a parent and they always had a certain seat at the table or preferred a certain, you know, whether it's a blessing or prayer or um, a meal, you know, carrying on with those things and honor the person can help you feel like that person is still there because that person's memory and that person's presence in your life will always be there, just in different ways. Um Doing something, doing a some kind of charity act, donating to a charity mm. that the person who is gone appreciated, uh, doing the things that they took value in, especially at the holidays. That's something you can do. If there's someone special that you know they always connected with at the holidays, make sure you still stay connected to that person in honor of the person you lost. Some of the simple things, you know, having lighting a candle, going to a particular service, if you know, faith was an important part of your part of your of the person of the person you've lost mm-hmm. life. Doing the things that honor them and get you involved in life, you know, kind of engaging in life still, rather than looking at the holidays as something you want to, you know, cover your head November first and not come out until January thirty first. <laughs> not allowing yourself to do that because that's a disservice to the memory and your partner. All right. So I'll start doing those things. One thing I do do is Sarah really enjoyed the movie Love Actually, which was Christmas oh. <laughs> based and obviously everybody loves it. But yeah. she would always make me watch it. And when she was alive, I would like dread it. But now I so look forward to watching it by myself in honor of her. And yeah. to your point, it's it, it's something that, you know, is emotional uh, for me, but in a way celebrating her life and what she liked to do and wanted us to do, um, you know, together uh, around the holidays. So that's one thing um, I, I always do. That's beautiful. That because and that movie is a beautiful movie because it shows love in so many different forms. And there are bittersweet moments in that. There's yeah. laughter. There's tears. There's, yep. there's so much, and it allows you. You know, sometimes sad movies or sad songs give us permission to experience the sadness that we don't allow ourselves in other ways. Yeah. And, and that, that's a magic thing to do for yourself and for Sarah. Yeah, yeah. So in your article, you listed a few tips for anyone who is looking to help somebody else who is grieving. And what are some of those? 
Well, number one, listen. Be willing to listen to a person tell their story. When we first lost someone, usually we want to go through the details. It's like when a tragedy strikes. I think all of us can remember where we were during when the Twin Towers were struck. Yeah. These things that are huge moments in our life, we want to tell the story. We have to tell the story of the loss of someone we loved because that allows us to weave it into the fabric of, of our being now. It allows us to accept it make sense of it, and make it a part of our story, which we need to do when traumatic events happen. And that's you know, kind of that post-traumatic stress disorder um, when we're not able to weave a trauma into our story and our understanding of the world. So listening to someone, inviting them to share if they feel comfortable sharing is a great place to start. Um, being present for a person, not being afraid to ask someone how they're feeling, because so often in our culture, we're scared to talk about death. We mm. say, you know, we don't want to say the wrong thing. And it's because none of us really learn well how to talk to someone who's lost someone or how to deal with death ourselves. Death anxiety, for some reason, we're many of us are fearful of dying. And so we don't want to even acknowledge it happens. Yeah. And so... We do a terrible disservice to folks who have lost someone. Making sure not to tell people how you think grief should look. You know, people will read a book about the five stages of grief and assume that's going to be, it's going to be like that for everyone. And so not assuming, just you know, asking, how are you doing? How are you coping? Helping out, you know, so often, you know, let me know, Larry, if there's something I can do. And you're never going to contact me to ask me to do something. Yeah. So what I'll do is I say, I'm coming, I'm, you know, I'm going by the grocery store and pick up some things for you too. I'll be by in half an hour. Just doing them, whether it's mowing the lawn, filling the fridge, picking up a meal, just doing it and not saying, call me if you need something. Because that, that puts a burden. Don't don't burden the person who is grieving. That's just, it's not the kind thing to do. I think that's the number one thing that I appreciated is just somebody doing something on their own and just showing up and whether, to your point, dropping it off at the front door and leaving or whatever. But just, you know, always never coming up and saying, I'm so sorry for your losses. Is there anything I can do versus just doing it? And yeah. I think that was so much more appreciative by me than, yeah. than the other way. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It's it's important that we that we take action. You know, we're, yeah, the words are wonderful. Words of condolence are wonderful. But we also, if we truly care, we're not going to burden the person who's already dealing with a tremendous burden. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that worked well for you. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that your grief in your timeline, you know, is yours alone and don't let anyone tell you um, how to deal with your grief. Function in a way that's comfortable and at a speed that works for you. And I think that's the best that you can give yourself during this, during yes. the holidays. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, yeah, no, grief has no timeline. You yeah. know, people may say it, there is no timeline for grief and grief is such a personal experience. And we also, one thing, grieving can last, uh, you know, for no matter how long it lasts, don't forget to stay in touch with you, stay in touch with someone. You know, that's one thing sometimes people rush around when a loss occurs, but then when you're ready to start trying to move on with life or get back into things, all the friends you had may have disappeared or they feel like, oh, I don't want to bother him. I was there at the funeral, but making sure we don't ever forget to reach out to people we care about. Yeah. 
Let me wrap up our time together with a, a little story here, and then I'll let you um, give your, your thoughts on it. Um, on one of my walks recently, I've been listening to a podcast called A Life in Lyrics, and it's where Paul McCartney is interviewed, and the listeners get a glimpse into McCartney's mind as he describes how he came up with and, and wrote the numerous songs you know that we all know so well. And during the late 1960s, when it was apparent that the Beatles were breaking up due to so much conflict, you know, among the four members of the band, both inside and out of the recording studio, um, one night, Paul McCartney had a dream where his mom, whose name was Mary, uh, came to him in this dream and, and just said, let it be. And from those three words came the song with the opening line of, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And as I was walking and thinking about that line, I felt like it was saying to me, hey, Larry, if you wake up on Thanksgiving and you have a heavy heart, just let it be. You don't have to fight it. Live it out that way. Um, let it play out. And if you wake up on Christmas and you're experiencing a lot of joy that day, you know, let it be. Enjoy that day um, with family and friends. There's nothing wrong with having a good and or a bad grief day. It's it's uncontrollable, and it can ambush you at any time. So just let it be. And I kind of feel like that's my mantra as as I go into these next two months. What are, what are your thoughts? I, I love that, Larry. It's so important that we listen to what we need for ourselves. We listen to our hearts. We listen to our emotions. And so often we want to try to control or force, but it's so important when we're dealing with something like grief, that it's, it's, it's such a tender place. And it's, I, I think letting it be just in general as a counselor, I think that's some of the best advice we can give to people. Don't try to force things, let it be, let things unfold in the way they're meant to. Well, our, our time is running out, but um, you've given us such great insight and advice um, about these two months, which can be So tough uh, on everybody, uh, especially the grievers. So Professor Suzanne Deggs-White, please come back anytime and and happy holidays to you. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you for letting me share today. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Professor Suzanne Deggs-White. What About Grief is available monthly on all major podcast listening platforms. Please follow the podcast as well as rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. The executive producer of What About Grief is Marsha Anderson. Logo artwork was designed by Ted Studios. This episode was recorded at BAM Studios in Chicago. And lastly, feel free to email us at whataboutgriefpod at gmail.com.